very much. I uh, do feel here that I should have a dramatic pause and say something profound like, friends, Romans, and countrymen, lend me your ears. I, I feel right about saying that. Uh, uh, I, was, I was racking my brain for the one bit of Shakespeare. I had confidence that I could repeat because um, I was ta- talking to my daughter beforehand. Michaela, my daughter, is with me today. And uh, I, I butchered a, a bit of Macbeth, so I was a little bit worried. In fact, it was Lewis Carroll. It was even Shakespeare. That's how bad I was. But anyway, great to be with you. Uh, really a privilege. Uh, thank you so much to the elders for giving me the privilege to preach. Um, I never take for granted the, 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 the privilege and the responsibility of preaching and also the, the, the sense of maybe not so much risk anymore. We do know each other, but always the risk when you have someone new in your pulpit. And so thank you very much and great to be here. Um, last time I was here, I, approached, I preached on uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, uh, which was, and I got us all to read potentially the most boring chapter in the entire Bible, but a great chapter nonetheless. And I spoke about how we, as uh, what God desires, is for us to work together as community. And I'm going to be on a similar kind of vein um, this morning, uh, something which is really strong on my, something that God is really speaking to, uh, uh, to me about quite a bit is, is the power and the importance of what it means to be community. And so I'm gonna touch a little bit about this this morning. But if you can turn with me to Romans chapter 12, um, and we're gonna read from verse one through to verse 16. Just to mention my wife, Michelle, she couldn't be here today. We've got a a meeting later on at our church, which she has to do some preparation for, but I do have uh, my wonderful daughter with me. So it's uh, great for us to be here. So let me just give you a bit of an intro. Um, when um, Romans, the book of Romans is a phenomenal book in the Bible. Most of you would have heard of it and uh, um, read it. It's uh, one of Paul's most complete descriptions of what the gospel is all about. And having gone through 11 chapters of describing the wonder of the good news, um, and I always, uh, one of the things is that the more I, I preach, the more I study, the more I, I, I pray, the more I, I contemplate God's goodness, I just realize how inadequate those words are, the good news. It's not good news. It's incredible news. Now we're awake, eh? It's incredible news. And, and it's the sort of news that when it grips our hearts, when, when, it, when it dawns in the innermost being of who we are, of what God has done for us by grace, through faith, given us everything we could ever want and need, given us purpose and meaning and et- eternal life, and, and it co-heirs with Him, all because of who He is and not because of what we have done. When that grips our hearts and we allow it to sink in through the power of the Holy Spirit, our lives begin to change. But what happens for us so often is we, we, um, we leak the gospel. We get used to it, and it loses its, something of its, of its shine and its power, and it becomes just like white noise. And we so need the Holy Spirit to fire in our hearts increasingly and ongoingly the wonder of this gospel and this good news. And so having spoken about the good news in the first 12 chapters, the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul goes on to ask, to write about how do we respond to this incredible good news? And so I'm gonna read these 16 verses, but when I read these 16 verses to you, I want you to have a look at how much, two things, how much of these 16 verses relates to how we deal to, with each other in community. 
And the second thing is I want that, because he, he goes through, he just gives a little, a few little like sound bites, a, a few little phrases, like he's giving us a bit of a list. But as he does this, there's an incredibly, um, how can I, challenging are some of the, the things that Paul says to us. So let me start. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as, living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That's the, the verse I'm gonna really wanna spend some time on today, but incredible verse. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And then we've got this group of, uh, of statements that Paul makes. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Wonderful passage. So much in there. We could preach a, a, certainly preach a series on something like that. Last year, I, I did a, a series at our church on identity. And identity is, is, is such an important thing. Um, you know, one of the things I realized, I'm, I'm 47, just sort of put it out there, I'm not embarrassed at my age. Um, I realized in my 40s, one of the things that I found out is, is trying to find out who I am beyond the roles I play as an elder, as a pastor, as a, as a father, as a, as, a, as a husband. Who am I, what are my roles? Because so often, we, we find our identity in the things we do. Uh, we find our identity in the way other people look at us and how we compare to other people. And um, so, so it's a, I think it's a very good thing to be talking about, just broadly speaking, but certainly in the life of the church. And when we come to um, what the gospel says, it says that our identity is not grounded in, in ultimately what we do, but, but where we are. Are we in Christ or not? And if we are in Christ, our identity is all wrapped about being in him. Everything we receive in our salvation, we receive because of this new identity, because we are in Christ. His death becomes my death. His life becomes my life. 
His relationship with the Father becomes our relationship with the Father because we are in Him, and that is our identity. In Colossians, Paul speaks about this great mystery hidden for ages, but now revealed. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Everything is based because of where we are in Christ Jesus, and that is where our identity is. It's wonderful. And um, it's something which I have been... uh, just gripped by for a number of years because I, I, I wasn't hearing a lot of people speak about this wonder of what it means to be united with Christ, this incredible um, doctrine. And uh, the more I read about it, I thought, well, you know, well, people, you know, it's because, it, because it's so amazing, it can, people can just kind of like flatline their minds and think, uh, this becomes too much for us to understand. So I'm gonna roll out the big guns, Spurgeon, because when in doubt you think, oh, Keith, maybe you're exaggerating it a little bit, just bring out someone like Spurgeon, because you've got to trust him. He is, a, he is a giant of the faith here in the UK from many years ago. But listen to what he talks about and, and says about what it means to be united with Christ. Whatever belongs to Christ, this, these words are amazing. Whatever belongs to Christ belongs to you. Poor believer. Christ is rich, can you be poor? Even his father is your father, and his heaven is your heaven. For you are so one with him that all the broad possessions of his infinite wealth are given freely to you. He bestows upon you his bounty, not only to half of the kingdom, but the whole of it. Join to him all that he has is yours. Wow, this is why it's good news. This is why it's good news. And this amazing and profound mystery of what it means to be united with Christ in a way which we can't even begin to imagine is something that we explore as, as, we, as we walk closer with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. We, as we do that, we, we just get into increasing levels of wisdom and, uh, and amazement, if you like. This is a, a lifelong journey walking into the fullness of what this all means. But one of the things that happens with this is as so often when we talk about our areas of of what it means to be saved and our salvation in Christ Jesus, is that we stop when it comes to us as an individual. I know my identity and God has poured out his blessing on me and we can quickly lose sight and see that we can lose sight and forget that the implication is, is far bigger than just me as an individual. To be in Christ is to be part of something. And so when we read verse five, as I did of this morning, he says, so in Christ we, not so in Christ me on my own, but so in Christ we. It means to become part of a body, Christ's body. If our identity is inextricably linked to the person of Jesus Christ, then flowing from that truth, our identity is inextricably linked to being part of his body. The church, which finds expression in places like this, and local churches like King's Church, like Kingsgate. When a Christian chooses to live outside or away from Christian community, they stop walking and living in their identity. The fullness of Christ is not in you or me, it's in us. We are the masterpiece of Christ. Uh, Here's here's another quote. Here's an American theologian. 
I wish I had a name like this. His name is Preston Sprinkle. <laughs> He's a great theologian, a lovely guy. Um, but I, I mean the name, you've got to listen to him for the name. But he says, our relationship with Jesus is not private. It's communal. That is the center of gravity in our relationship with Jesus is in the church. Not in your heart, not on some mountaintop, but in the local gathering and global unity of Christ's blood-bought bride. Our identity is not all about what I have become, but what I have become part of. In a world which prizes individualism, independence, setting one's own course, this is incredibly difficult to hear. Dare I say, it is offensive to some. We as individuals are loved and blessed, known by name, every hair on your head, known by the creator of heaven and earth. He knows you so intimately, and he always looks at you with grace. But it doesn't stop there, because we are not the center of attention. As it says in this passage I'm reading through today, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And here's the other thing, is that we need each other to walk out our identity of what it means to be in Christ Jesus. So when we look at this, that verse five today, it says, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, each member and each member belongs to all the others. Let's just hold on for that, we can just read that. You belong to each other. That means the phrase we can use is, it's my business. Well, not really. That means it matters what you do for the rest of the body. Because we belong to one another. I am not my own. I mean, there's that, that passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul speaks, and he, I mean, how's this to, to be like a grenade in many conversations in a Western community? You are not your own. You are not your own. You are not free to do with your body what you want because you're not your own. This is not saying that the individual is unimportant, but what I'm trying to emphasize is that in the Western context, our, individual, in our individualism has become God. We are losing touch with the spiritual significance of community and therefore losing touch with our identity. Community becomes something that benefits me in my story rather than me being part of a beautiful mutual story where we all play a part. What is my purpose? Where do I fit in? Who am I? Are questions that are left hanging to some measure if we don't understand where we belong. What do I get out of church becomes an increasingly irrelevant question as we mature in Christ Jesus. Uh, and being part of church becomes more important. What do I bring? That's why, I mean, I've, I'm preached to my church on a Sunday, or you know, something along these lines, is it never matters when we wake up in the morning whether I feel like going to church or not. Because it matters what I can bring. Is there an arm I need to put, is, is there someone I need to put an arm around? Is there someone I need to say, you know what, hang in there. Is there someone I need to pray for? What do I bring? Because it's not about me and my comfort. It's about what do I bring to this precious, and this is a precious body of believers.
In the Western world, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Nuclear family has become the center. What is important for us as individuals is far more important than a community story. I wonder if that was not if that has not contributed to a rise for our anxiety, our depression, our mental illness, and our feeling detached. We think we are free to build our own stories and are actually in the process of kicking the legs out from underneath it. There's a trend as well to find my spiritual way on my own. I call it, there's a phrase, it's like buffet church. And I listen, I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts. I love reading authors. I, I, too much. I, I love it. So I, I'm always getting new ideas and thoughts and stimulation like that. But what can happen is I've seen it in some places. Someone, will, they'll get my worship from this one place and I'll get my preaching from the other place. And actually I build a little church around me of people telling me the things I want to hear, the authors I want to hear and remove myself away from the messiness and the important messiness of community. There's also um, a wonderful doctrine, the idea of a Margot day that we are made in the image of God. I mean, that's a, I mean, let's talk about grace. You know, well, you know, out of God's grace and mercy, He made us of such worth. But as I've done a bit of reading around the whole idea of a Margot day, what it means to be in the image of God. Many writers uh, would say that we, are, we look more like the image of God when we're in relationship rather than as individuals. Certainly, as individuals, we display something of the image of God, but there's something about relationship, something about community, which is a more complete picture of what God is like. And that means that when we are outside of Christian community, and let me just say, we can be outside of Christian community and be very much present because our hearts aren't there. It would mean that when we are outside of Christian community, we look less like God intended and our identity is reflected more poorly. And there's many verses and passages I can go to which can talk about this. I'll just read you one of these. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. He says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And, and the question I, I, I've asked my church and other places I've preached is, do you want to be a brick or do you want to be a spiritual house? The other thing with this is that, you know, church community is messy. And I, I've been a Christian for many years. I've been a, at Kingsgate for 23 years. I've been a, a leader there for 19 years and full-time in ministry there since 2004 and took over the church um, since 2011. My whole life in many respects has been, well, certainly my you know, since I was 25, my whole life has been built around this community called Kingsgate. My children's lives have all been built around this community. You know, if you had to take that community out of my life, where would my last 23, 4, 5 years have been? And in that process, we've seen beautiful things, amazing things, ordinary things, messy things, difficult things, hurtful things. Because church community, is, it's, it's, it's real, it's vulnerable, it's continuous forgiveness and a continuous being forgiven because we all need forgiveness. 
every single one of us, every day, need the grace of God. Every single one of us need to be forgiven as much as we need to forgive others. It's a place of moments of ordinariness as well as special moments. And it's the place where we learn about ourselves. And sometimes that's not pretty, but God loves us. But we learn of what it means, what it means to walk and to be in the identity of Jesus. Listen to this, it is in the ordinariness, the ordinariness and the messiness of a local church that you learn to be shaped in your identity of Jesus Christ. You see, learning is not a very cool word. What we want is we want a silver bullet. So I remember hearing a guy who was doing some ministry and he said, I feel God is wanting to, to give a download of character. So if you just want to come forward and get a download of character, I thought, I'd love that. Flip, I mean, I really, I mean, if it's going to help me in the next 25 years, I'd really like that. But you're never going to get a download of character. The, the Apostle Paul says, the Apostle Paul says that I learned to be content with much and with little. That means that he didn't start like that. But what do we do in our lives? This is what life looks like. We, we take the incredible good news of this gospel, of what God has done for us in jars of clay, and we take it and we bump our heads against life for the continuous rest of our lives. And in that process, as we carry the gospel, bumping our head against life, we find out what it means to be in Christ. We learn what it means. I mean, it's also, you know, one of the things as well, I, I, I love to see the power of God move in the context of churches. And I want to see more of that. I want my expectations to rise, to see healings, to see people being delivered. I, I've seen things which are remarkable, but I want to see more of that because I do believe the power of God in the presence of us as churches is gonna be something which is vital for us to reach a world that doesn't believe in God or doesn't understand, more importantly, doesn't understand the relevance or why it's a big deal. But you know, one of the greatest miracles, I actually think the great miracle is community. When Jesus says to all the people, he says, what does he say to me? By this they will know that you are my disciples. Not by how many people you heal, not by how many people you raise from the dead, not by how many, how many great your sermons are, how great your worshipers. You will know this by the way they love one another. Because it's gonna be this radical kind of love which takes people who shouldn't be together but are together and it combines them and, and they, people will look and marvel at how does this work. It's a sort of love that takes a, a, a rich Jewish businesswoman, a jailer, and a woman who's just been delivered of demons and forms a church in Philippi, and the world looks on and says, how did that three get together? And everyone else looks on in amazement. What you are participating in here is a miracle. You know, one of the things I said to my church, and I'm just I'm being a bit vulnerable here, um, it's on the couch with Keith. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I, I look at leading a church in London. It's a, and we're here in, in, in Kingston. It's a, it's a transient city. And, and you, you, I was chatting to another church leader. He says, yes, you say hi to everybody in, in September. And then he says, bye to everybody in June and July. What's going on? 
And you know, people's lives are busy. People's lives are hard sometimes. You know, we find ourselves, I think sometimes we put a lot of that upon ourselves because we, we, we want to, um, we fill our lives with things which I think sometimes are, 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 are more irrelevant than we think. Anyway, I won't go into a second sermon. I want to keep you on my side for a bit. And, I, and I, I'll be honest with you, I sat in my kitchen the one day, I said, Lord, is it, is it actually possible to, to have a community, a radical community of love in London? Maybe, maybe London's too big for the gospel. Maybe London's too big for this miracle that you want to do. Of, of Jesus loving people, loving one another. Maybe it's too big, maybe it's too hard. And I thought to myself, I remember sitting in my room, I said, Lord, it cannot be bigger than the gospel. It cannot be bigger than the gospel. And because of that, that's why we need, we need to be jealous of what we have here. Every community jealous of what we have. You know, so am I doing all right for time here, hey? There's a guy called Eugene Peterson who did the message, and uh, he told us an analogy, which I thought was an amazing story. There's a, there, in, in the old days, I mean, many, many old days, like we're talking about four, 500 AD, a while ago, um, what happened was that certain Christians wanted to leave the, 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 different, the, the kind of seemingly, um, as the church had become a, a part of the, the sort of Roman culture, and they thought, we need to, we're gonna leave the church and go and find our own spiritual, to get really close with God. And so they did that. We have the Desert Fathers, amazing men and women, um, these great monks and, and, and nuns that went away and got this deep sense of, of the presence of God and closeness to him. And then what would happen is people would come and gather around them because they would say, gee, these guys are really something special. Um, but then what was starting to happen is they'd gather around and they'd say, you know what? These guys are not serious enough. We're gonna go on our own again. And they would leave. And so you had this continuous pattern of people gathering together and leaving to go and find you know, greater spiritual enlightenment. And so there was a new order that was formed called the Benedictines. And the Benedictines added a fourth. There's, now there's, there's, there's poverty, chastity, no, poverty, uh, celibacy, and there's a fourth, a third, uh, normally a third one that these orders used. But they added, I forgot what the third one is, but the fourth one that they added was stability. And this is what they said. This is kind of a, a more modern version of what they said. We vow to remain all our life with our local community. We will live together, pray together, work together, relax together. We give up the temptation to move from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself. And the idea that things would be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out and restore peace. This means learning to practice the practice of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences and forgiving. Now, this is not saying you cannot leave here. This is not saying if you leave this church, you're outside the will of God, or you can never ever leave. It's like Hotel California. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. I'm not saying that. But what I am trying to do with this example is I am trying to talk against a, a I think, a very spiritually destructive spirit that can enter into the life of the church. Where people and Christians start seeking the next big thing. 
where we are easily, another thing is where we are easily offended. I had a, a, a guy who was an apostolic father to us as a church, and he said, you've got 30 seconds to get over an offense. 30 seconds to get over an offense. And you know, when we harbor offense, what happens is we actually end up working for the devil rather than working within God's kingdom. Where there is, but so this example I'm giving for these Benedictine monks and this vow they had is to seeking to the spirit, this idea that we want the next big thing, the next big thrill where we get tired of the ordinary, where we are individualistic and, we, and it's all about us and who we are and what meets our comfort and our ease. All right, let me just see where I'm, I wanna land pretty soon here. Church is not entertainment, it is a life lived together. Living stones being built together. This is, this is important, I, I, love, I love Sundays because I'm a preacher and I like to talk. Um, so I'm very happy in this space. But actually church is something which exists continually over every conversation, over every coffee, over every phone call. As we got into the 21st century, every WhatsApp group note, every text. It's how we love one another, speak to one another, hold one another together. That is what church is being about, as well as our mission to the world. You know, we read through the New Testament, we see so, so many teachings around this, making this thing called local church work, because it's hard work at times, and because it's important to God. And that's why, as I finish off, just to say, that's why unity is so hugely important. Unity, there's a crazy proverb, Proverbs chapter six, verse 16 to 19. And uh, there's a Hebrew type of, type of Hebrew poetry where he, um, this is what the, 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 the writer of this proverb is doing. He would say, um, six things are important, but the seventh thing I hate. And so what he is saying is, I'm gonna give you a list of seven things. They're all pretty bad, but when I get to the seventh one, I want you to understand that this seventh one is I really don't like. And so this is what God is saying through this proverb. And it's interesting because the first six are pretty heavy. The six things the Lord hates, seven are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies. I mean, these are pretty, these aren't good. And we get to number seven, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. The seventh. And I'm not sure whether we can see authentic power of God in the midst of strife, disunity, offense, and unforgiveness. That's why we need to be jealous. Why am I preaching about this to you guys today as I come into land? Is because it's something which is so close to my heart. Um, something that I've been felt God challenging and opening my eyes about over the last little while but also to understand the precious nature of community with all its flaws. For you to be jealous of community like God is jealous. 
for you to be jealous of your identity just like God is jealous of your identity. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Is it? Sorry, Jason. Do you want? Can I do something quickly? Yeah. <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, I just wanted to just take. Uh, um, Phil and Paul can speak to me afterwards if I've done something bad. But um, what I just like to do, I just feel you know we could just finish off with this and just all walk out the door. And I just don't want us to do that. And uh, listen, I am an extrovert. So I do understand what makes me comfortable can make other people just terrified. But I'm, I'm gonna be gone later, and, and so it won't matter. Um, but what I'd like us to do, just in the context of these words, uh, in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Can I just ask us, as we, f I believe we're gonna be finishing off pretty smartly, is that if we can just take two minutes, two, three minutes, and if we can get up and go and speak to somebody else in this community that you do not know or haven't spoken to for a while and maybe pray for them. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be something which is, uh, I'm not expecting you to, pre to pray uh, four and a half hours. It can just be one or two lines. But it's no good us talking about this if we don't begin to start trying to walk a little bit into it. So I, I, I'll hum green sleeves in the background so that you will uh, feel comfortable. Or maybe, Jamie, if you could come and just play something, which would be great. And I'm just gonna ask, we can take two minutes to get up, go and see, speak to someone that you might not know that well, because you, what we've been saying is that they actually, you belong to them. You belong to them and they belong to you. Take two minutes, go and say hi to someone that you don't know or haven't spoken to, maybe just pray, just a brief prayer of blessing if that's what you wanna do over them. Okay, let's go for it.